Welcome, everybody. It is uh, Swing Thoughts, year in review. Uh, It's the uh, legendary golf mental performance lifestyle, be a better person podcast. I'm Howard. Tim O'Connor is here. He's a good guy. Pretty casual. (laughs) What's that? Was that too casual an opening for you? <laughs> I like it. No, I, I like it. Lifestyle. You know. Well, next thing to what, we're going to be giving advice on uh, how you can be super rich. Go do real estate, buy houses, flip them. Well, lifestyle also means a lot of the stuff that we talk about that has nothing to do with golf. But um, I think by now most people know that you're the you know, mental performance coach for uh, Glen Abbey, that I'm golf spiritual leader. This show is brought to you by Taylor Made, the number one driver in golf, and, of course, Club Link. There's never been a better time to join Club Link. If it doesn't, you know, I found myself uh, singing that song the other day, and I'm just like, oh, yeah. It's in my head now as the Swing Thoughts theme and not the Dire Straits song. Oh, cool. You passed that. That's an interesting... Uh, line to to pass. I actually, I was looking up how to play it the other day. Um, I just loved Mark Knopfler. I always thought his guy was a brilliant guitar mm-hmm. player. And it's not the hardest song in the world to play. But I was going to say that the the intro, the the little riff there, I can't play. But the chords aren't extremely difficult. Well, I could. If, I bet you, if I tried, I could. I, I bet you could. Be, well, you're a much better guitar I, player than me. I used to be pretty good. Yeah. I, I'm a formerly. <laughs> Um, you know what song I like? Do you like do you do you like a lot of Dire Straits stuff? I like this song. There's a, a song I used to love years ago called Romeo and Juliet. Don't the, know it that well. I can't remember it, but uh, most of his stuff was just their stuff was amazing. Here, listen to this. I kind of fell out of love a little bit with them. With uh, what was their big hit? Um, the MTV Money for Nothing. Yeah, I kind of fell out of love with them in that period when they kind of got a bit. Electronic. It kind of lost a bit of the earthiness in Here. their sound, but you have a listen to this. Just listen. I love struck Romeo, sing the streets of serenade, laying everybody low. That song ring a bell? Oh yeah, yeah, I love that song. Um. All right, well, here's the thing. We're here. We got our uh, last show. We're co- recording this on the 20th of December. By the time people download this show, it might even be Christmas. So let me start by wishing you the best of the holiday season to you and your lovely family and to health and happiness today and for always. Yes, and it's not just now. It's, it's, for, it's for always. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. We should all have the spirit of giving and receiving is not bad either. So uh, I thought I'd start off today in no particular order. I threw this up on our uh, Swing Thoughts Facebook page, which, well, you know, if you want to give us a Christmas present because we've been providing this program to you for a couple of years now, if you would like our Facebook page, that would be really, really cool, man. I threw it up this morning in anticipation of us recording today. And what I wrote was basically simply I watched the, because uh, I've been sick the last couple of days. So I watched the entire final round of the 2017 Open Championship. Um, Matt Kuchar and Jordan Spieth. Uh, Last night, the Golf Channel ran it sort of unedited. It was all, you know, in real time-ish. And I got to tell you, for me, and I want to get your opinion, but for me, 
the holes 13 through 18, particularly 13, 14, and 15, stand alone as the gutsiest. I don't even want to say gutsiest. I want to say the most um, mentally tough, efficient, um, present moment, whatever you want to call it, performance in golf uh, of the of the last year, and certainly at the professional level. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you started talking about that, I went, that was the round of the year uh, to witness. And I, I, it's funny, I was talking about this the other day with someone that it's not quite up there with the Kennedy assassination. But <laughs> when, like, where were you? Exactly. When Jordan bossed that one, what hole was that that he bossed it? Okay, so the 13th hole, he hits it 100 yards right. Correct. Okay. So I think that when, really, I remember exactly where I was when I was watching that, and I was just spellbound by it. I thought it was amazing. So if I may... Um, yes. Just because it was fresh, and, and, and again, I'll, I'll walk through some of it, and you can comment. Um, what I what I noticed again, I, I saw it in real time in this summer, but when I was watching it last night, knowing it was coming, <clears throat> pardon me, I I just wanted to see what his demeanor was and how it changed. But the thing that really, really is impressive, if you go back and watch it, is after the tee shot. What most of us do, and this is where the learning can come in. When we've all hit bad shots, what most of us do, <clears throat> pardon me, that he didn't do, is we rush to erase it. Mm. You know that feeling? You know, I remember the, the quadruple bogey I took in the second round of the Canadian Mid-Am. It was the uh, 12th hole of that round where I had really had it on cruise control. <clears throat> pardon me. And when I made that nine, it happened so fast. And I, and I noticed, I, I thought of that last night. What Jordan did that I didn't do, and a lot of us don't do, is he stayed in the moment. Right. It was 21 minutes from the time he hit the drive to when he finally hit that second shot. Now, obviously, in amateur golf, we're not going to take that kind of time. But what I wanted to get your buy-in, or I'm, I hope you'll agree with this, that what he did is he... He kept he, he kept himself there as opposed to think about it. Most of us are so embarrassed we've hit a bad shot that the reason we rush to hit it you know quickly is we want to get away from the scene of the crime. There he was. There's there's helicopters. There's sky cams. There's thousands of people, and he still took the time to exercise and consider every option he had. Yeah, and I think I, there's a great takeaway yeah. for us amateurs in that. Yeah, I'm not sure what. I think you've perfectly encapsulated. I'm not sure what more I could add, except that what I noted it was that. So when he hit the shot, he reacted. I remember he kind of put his hand. Yeah, up he his puts his hand on his head like he can't believe what's just happened. Exactly, particularly at that moment. And you know, so regular person, normal, had a reaction to it. But it was his ability to somehow stay out of sort of what I'll call the drama. Mm-hmm. There was no, he, whatever story came up in his head, He, if it came up, he was able to just set it aside and just deal with reality. And he just did what he needed to do and plotted it from take care of this, where is it, what's the line, and just did what he needed to do rather than, than getting caught up in 
and judgment and, as you say, trying to erase it. It's amazing how most of us start racing around when bad shit happens, mm-hmm. you know, try, trying to clean it up, kind of a get away from it. It's a, I'm not really sure what that's about. That'd be interesting to. Well, I was going to say you you were one at. of the you're one of the first people, or we've talked a lot about it on this show. I believe that we're one of the few podcasts uh, of golf or a golf centric podcast that talk about this shame. Because if you guys, I'm telling you, if you guys will just uh, listen to this thing, there's so much shame around golf. And what I mean by that is we're, we're embarrassed, we're humiliated, we feel ashamed of ourselves when we've hit a bad shot. That's why I've done it, you've done it, you hit a ball OB. And it took me a long time to learn this lesson. Lesson. You hit a ball out of bounds, and usually you quickly re-tee that shot, hit another shitty shot. And instead of making, you know, a par with your second ball, at worst a double bogey, how many of us have, you know, hit a, a shot OB and made a seven or an eight or worse? And it all comes down to what you've, and I think you're one of the first persons to mention this to me, about the shame that we men feel around the game. And there was this young guy, 24-year-old kid, who had the presence of mind to go, yes, this is embarrassing, but I'm not going to hit this next shot until I'm absolutely ready. Yeah, that was, well, I love what you're talking about there in terms of, you know, cutting to the chase of what what it's about and getting away from this feeling that, all right, I just did something bad, therefore I am bad. That's really what shame is about. It's not that I made a mistake, it's that I am a mistake. And that's where a lot of people go. It's like self-identity, oh, I'm exposed. Now everyone knows what a fraud I am. And that that happens in golf. I mean, people will be cruising along to even Jordan Spieth, who knows? Who knows what sort of, um, oh, what kind of uh, wreckage he's carrying around in his psychic. Well, sure, you know, they, they refer to it. It's funny, Timmy, on the broadcast, they, 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 they start the back nine. Him and Kucher are tied. They par 10, 11, 12. Even on the 12th hole, they mention on the broadcast that in 2016, the year before, he had a five-shot lead at the Masters and let it, you know, fritter it away, whatever. But he had some, we all have some uh, scar tissue. Absolutely, and so it would be quite natural, don't you think, that mm-hmm. if, that he's got this he and Kucher going along, and he seems to have it pretty together, and he blows it wide. You know, oh, here I am. There it is. There's the chink in my armor. There's the there's the, I've finally been seen for the for the weak player that I really am. I'm exposed now, and we all tend to do that in many in many ways. Is 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 that oh. Uh, I've tried to cover this up with, you know, duct tape and binder twine, but but there it is. I've been exposed again for this f up that I really am, and it is none of that. It's just freaking drama. It's just it's just our fear stuff coming up, and yeah, that's a link a lot to shame. All that stuff that we want to put away, make sure no one sees, and and that's why we stuff it away. But it's. When it does come up, it's it's. I think Jordan was able to see that. Oh, this this came up. Wow. Okay. Now let's deal with it. Who knows? Who 
has any clue what was going on in his brain. For sure. Right then. But what he demonstrated was resilience. That ability to deal with a situation uh, maturely. I mean, I don't know. I, I got to think that if Jordan Spieth, I think it'll be really interesting to watch him later in life of what he does with his life, whether he goes into the corporate world or, or what he does. But I got to think that he will be the type of guy that will be a great leader, someone who want, people will want to follow. So let, let me just those, jump back. Those if are I, leadership qualities. I, mean, I agree. Let me just jump back into the, the golf for a second. So he hits it wide right. 21 minutes later, he hits a second shot. Now, we all know he went on to birdie the next hole, eagle the next hole, birdie, birdie. He was five under for the next four holes. But to me, the most impressive shot he hit was the chip that got him that bogey. Because Kuchar's got about a 15 or a 12-footer for birdie. He misses. Now, Jordan's got like an 8-footer for bogey. But the chip that he hit, like, if, if, if you're listening and you forget it, go back and look at it. Because, well, describe it. Describe well, I was going to say, but after all that drama, after, you know, a big delay of the, of the championship, when they teed off on 14, the group ahead of them was putting out on 16. That's how far back they were. You know, remember there's that beautiful moment when he comes over and apologizes to Kuchar. They fist bump each other. And then he has the presence of mind. To hit a little off a skinny lie over a bunker, and there's a, like a, a little mound that feeds the ball. It was incredible, Tim. It was incredible because you and I, as golfers, both know that under normal circumstances, it's a tough shot. But when you're feeling a little flushed, mm-hmm. when you're feeling a little bit, uh, most of us can't pull that off. And I, I just thought that, and I watched it last night again, knowing it was coming was a different kind of vibe. And I was also hopped up on, you know, flu medication. So <laughs> if, I, if I feel like, if it sounds like I'm overstating it, I was just quite impressed with it last night. And we can move on, by the way, if you want. No, I love it. And I would, what I think is that he was present. This is going to sound all kind of out there, uh, you know, golf cycle speech. But he was present to his experience. Mm-hmm. He was right there. He wasn't caught up in, oh, gosh, what just happened past. Oh, what's going to happen future? He was right where he was right in the moment. Yes, and I, where else can you be? That, but that's the struggle that we all have, is not getting caught up in fast forwarding, going back. So I would say for that for that chip shot, he was just able to fully call upon his talent and his skill and and, and let her go. Because his body knows what to do. If his mind just stays out of the way, you know, it'll be fine. And that is really the, the struggle in golf. Is it how do we quiet this mind that wants to run everything? And the mind often, and most of us doesn't trust the body, but the body knows what to do. How many zillion chip shots has Jordan Spieth hit in highly competitive situations that needed touch and target awareness and all that stuff and he was able to do it by being able to somehow get his body his mind synced and just be in that moment it's interesting you mention that because one of the things that johnny miller said on the broadcast and it was a little bit earlier than that but you know he was basically saying that jordan spieth like a nicholas like a tiger woods you know are once in a generation 
type of competitors that are able to produce great results in high-stress situations. Now, maybe we can come back to that uh, when we, because we want to talk a little bit about how, you know, Tim and I have been talking a lot about how the things we talk about on this show apply to my other life, which is, you know, doing stand-up. But that really is what we all want is to be able to produce our better results or at least be, at least be in the moment in competition or in our everyday games where we feel like we're we're not we're not faking it, you know, that we're actually there, that we recognize that our friends are two up and we have a little competition, all that stuff, whatever your stress situation is. We all know when we drive home, like we know we kind of gave up or we know we kind of didn't quite produce and we know it's not because we don't have the ability, it's that our minds were somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Well, what the great players do, I know Tiger talked about this, is that when he was under stress, time actually slowed down for him. And I've heard that experience described by a lot of people like Joe Montana, um, other great players. But that's what they, they're trained their whole life to be in those situations. And yeah, those, those are unique, unique people. But we can learn from them amazingly. And I, you hit the nail on the head, is it's that ability to put aside the, the thinking. I mean, that's really what mindfulness is in, in many ways, is that how can you just just be with with the present moment, you know, and that's like, that's why meditation is such a great skill. Uh, well, actually practice that develops the skill of awareness is that, you know, am I caught up in my, in my thinking rather than being, you know, in this moment? And, and when people are in the moment, yeah, things slow down and there's just, you can just be right there, but it takes a lot of practice to do it. You know, and I, I like that word because uh, they use that word in yoga too. It's you know they always say this is sounds hokey, but it's true. They say it's not yoga perfect; it's yoga practice. And right. and maybe we can segue into the uh, idea of what can you work on, and what can you practice uh, for 2018. Some things maybe uh, you know we'll call them uh, Coach Tim's. Uh, stocking stuffers uh, some things for the new year because I want to just touch on this like if you've listened to this show over the last couple of years you know I had this I had my best year as a golfer last summer no, I mean I didn't win the club championship but I statistically had a better summer than I've ever had in 20 years of being a competitive golfer for no other reason than I just you know learned to to shut down all the babble at the times I needed it, you know, and, and I, a lot of it is, you know, from, you know, we've learned some things together, a lot of stuff I've done on my own, a lot of work with others, but it, it has, it's been a, a practice. It didn't happen one day. It happened one day at a time. Ooh, I should write that down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. See how good a writer you are? No, but it's true. It didn't happen on the first day, but on the first day I started you know, the day you said to me, and I remember everything for some reason. The day you said to me, Howard, why don't you try and be a good partner next time? Why don't you try and make it about somebody else other than you next time? I immediately had a better round of golf. So you do that, ever, so you make that part of your golf practice. You know, when Paul Doolin said, try and keep your eyes on the horizon, you won't be such a mopey dick anymore. It was, uh, it, it, yeah, that's another good one, eh? Mopey dick. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> but it's true. I, on, so on the first day I tried it, it made a bit. It made a bit of a difference. But on the one hundredth day of doing it, I just do it unconsciously now. You got your reps in. So why don't you talk about some of the things you might want people to think about going forward? I would say a, a thing to look at for for next year is uh, for sure take a look at. Um, Strengths, weaknesses of your game. You know that's basic stuff like that, and see what you, see what you need to work on. That's that's a key. I would also consider working with uh, with a coach of some kind. I Absolutely. When someone, when you've got someone who you can work with, and and they hold up a mirror to you and see what you're doing, and and you know I'm big on uh, you can think all this stuff, but are you going to take action? And you know what commitments are you willing to make? Uh, take a look at you know what's going on in your game and the things that you know whether it be parts of your uh, of you know when you're out on the golf course when you're getting ready the way you think and decide what you're going to do and take a look at what's the, what's your commitment to changing it. And you can even put a number on it. So zero being nothing, ten being I'm going to work on this for sure. And so establish what your commitment level is. And then, what are the actions are you going to take to do it? Because you can think about all this great stuff, but if you don't do it, it's, you're just going to spin your tires. Mm-hmm. So what's the commitment level you, you're going to make? And then make those commitments. And hold yourself accountable. Or get a coach to work with you to hold you, hold you accountable. And so the accountability isn't about blame and shame and, oh, you're, you suck, you didn't put enough time. Accountability is a process to look at at whether you live up to your agreements or commitments and then looking at the impacts that it has on you and and then what's the behavior and if you don't like the behavior well renegotiate the commitment and do something else so that's something that a coach can can do for you uh and to me a key piece is is around just the practice of of awareness of like how much are you really in your own experience. So what I mean by that is, are you caught up in thinking, uh, whether you're on the golf course, you know, at work, you know, talking with your partner or whatever, are you actually right there in that moment? Or are you caught in thought? Mm-hmm. And to me, so much of, we are just so much divorced in our society, whether we got our phone, uh, our noses in our cell phones, here's something. I heard that something like, but 20 years ago, there was a study done that showed that, that the average Canadian could hold focus for about 45 seconds. And I think you probably know where I'm going with this. And they, re- they redid the same sort of study. And it was shown that the average human could, uh, average Westerner, could hold focus for only eight seconds before he or she got distracted. And that goldfish could hold their attention, hold focus for nine seconds. So, <laughs> so goldfish can, can hold... They have a higher attention you know, span. Exactly. So where I'm going with that is like that, you know, if we're divorced from our experience because we're hijacked into thinking, you're not going to be able to play your best golf or be your best in whatever you're doing. You're not going to be able to execute at a Jordan Spieth level for sure if you're caught up in your drama of your thoughts, so I would just say a, a thing to look at is, you know, how can you work on the skill of awareness? Well, if I may just pop in. 2018. 
Yeah, I know. I've been rambling. No, no. That's fine. We're not here. What's that, sir? I welcome whatever you have to offer in this moment. Okay. Um, (laughs) The thing about this show and the things that we talk about, and I don't want people to, the reason I pause there is I want this to be understood. It's not that you're, we're not trying to tell you that you'll never get angry or you'll never react to any shot again. That's not the point. The real lesson, I think, and you can agree or not, is the lesson isn't that it's not that you're not going to react or hit bad shots. It's really how you react in the moment next. Like like if you watch the thing with Jordan Smith, he puts his hands on his head and it blows his mind. It's the for a, a pro to hit it that far right and they showed his you know, Timmy, it's great the the, the slow mo uh, shot of his club head. You know, lots of times on they'll 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 slow down a golf swing. You'll think I don't know why it looked good to me, but in this particular case, his the club face is so open at impact, it's you can actually see it. So it's yeah. a horrible, horrible shot. And the lesson or takeaway for me in, in all of this has been, it's how you react when those shots happen. Because they're going to happen. Sometimes they happen on the first hole. Sometimes, as it happened to me, I, I three-putted. We talked about this a couple shows. I three-putted to shoot 70 a month and a half ago. Believe me, it was not a pleasant moment for me. But, hey, it happens. Right. So that's the takeaway. It's not that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you and you're going to be in this dream state like some Mooney. It's just what you're, it's you want to equip yourself so that you can get back to the present moment as quickly as possible. Yeah, and and so your Jordan Spieth example is perfect, is that, yeah, he reacted like all of us do. Um, You know, oh, crap. (laughs) I just, you know, I just hit that thing on a 45-degree angle from my intended target. I launched it into the trees or I rinsed it. You know, we're all going to be reactive. That's human nature, you know. Even when we talked to our, your good friend Charlie Fitzsimmons uh, five or six weeks ago, the guy's like a Ph.D. in sports psychology. I watched him all the way through the OUA championship, which he won, and he's like, you know, gesturing, hands going up and head back. You know, he's human. Species, we're all human. So it's So the reaction is almost like wow this happened and we kind of get taken away but it's as you said howard it's how do we respond and that's the word that i like is the different is the makes the difference is the reaction is like when the doctor whaps you in the knee to test your it's almost involuntary Mm -hmm. it's a reflex and then after that it's like oh how am i going to respond to this think about this go ahead you're right i was gonna say Go for it. Go for it. It's your turn to talk. Think about this for a second. I I think we we want to play golf, or I I I can tell, tell you the way I want to be in the world is in a state of open, sort of hopefulness. Like, I mean, I don't think that I'm a um, you know uh, artificially positive person, but I think my personality that would be annoying. Yeah, and I, again, because this isn't about the power of positive thinking, but for me, I, I always like to think that there's a possibility, whether it's in golf or in stand-up or in radio or relationships, I like to think there's always the possibility 
that great things are going to happen. Now, we all know some people that aren't like that. They're always in the possibility that great things won't happen. Right. You know, we all have played golf with that person that as soon as the first bad hole shows up, that's the end of the round. So I think what I and I and I was always able to do that in every area of my life except for golf. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but I I always felt like, you know, there good things were going to happen to me except when when bad things happened to me in golf, I didn't I couldn't emotionally detach from them. Yeah. So to me that's kind of the state. Yeah. yeah, well those are your national days. <laughs> well, yeah. Some pretty grim moments on the golf course for me, you know, like they were. I just think, what a waste! Of, what I wasted so much time. Yeah, but that, but you wouldn't be the lovely man that you are on the golf course now if you hadn't have under undergone that, you know. So it's all it's all experience, and and you know, you again, you could you get good get caught up in the in almost like the drama of that. Oh, wasted years and all that. Nah, nah, at all. Everything pays out oh for sure but it's all, but it's all the it's 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 interesting is that what you're it's not positive thinking positive thinking is okay this is gonna go down the middle uh i'm gonna hit it hit the putt and then what do you do if it doesn't you know but i it's a big difference to have positive expectancy you know i've done the best i can i've practiced I've, okay things are gonna go as well as as well as i can and that's that's a a different way to be and I gotta think that's a healthier way to be in all ways rather than the dark clouds following me around and it always will because somehow I deserve this because ultimately mm-hmm. it's all about our own um, our own insecurities our own ways that we we see ourselves and if, and if we see ourselves as at the end of the day incompetent broken fixed and in need of fixing, that's how we'll show up in the world. It's the, the self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, okay, well, in our last uh, few moments here, um, you know, we, we've been talking a lot, Tim and I, away from the show about, you know, how I've been able to use some of this golf psych stuff and some of this mental performance stuff for, you know, going on stage, which I do, you know, all the time. And last week, I was uh, hosting a show. <clears throat> when you host the show, you do your act, but you just do it in sort of pieces. And, and it's really more about making sure the show runs well. And I was emceeing at Yuck Yucks. And uh, as I was being introduced, I said to myself kind of quietly, but it's, you know, I made a conscious declaration. I said, remember, this isn't about you. Nice. And I walked up there with that attitude. And it, it just imbued everything I did that night because I made it about the audience and their enjoyment of the show that I was presenting. And I'm going to tell you, making it about not about you as a golfer, even though you're the one playing your game, it's so narcissistic. But when you make it about the, the day and the fellowship and more than just did you make a four or a five on the whole? And I think you get that at a... A pretty deep level. I never did for the longest time. And that's something I think that's transferable from, you know, what we talk about to what I do as a comic or to, you know, I'll tell you the nights. I I, I, I don't do well every night. You know, like I have bad shots. I say things that don't get laughs. 
And here's the thing. You know, when you don't get a laugh in front of 300 people and you've, you've intended to, it's, you think hitting a ball out of bounds is bad. <laughs> but it's how you react. Because if you react well, if you react in the moment, then the audience is fine. But if you look... How, what, how, go ahead. How, and how does, that, how does that work? You say, say, are you saying, like, you say a, you, you mangle a joke, you forget it, or you flub the punchline? Like, like, how do you react to that? Well, let me, I'll tell you in a second. So if you react in the present tense, the audience is like, oh, cool. But if you make it look like you're humiliated or ashamed or you start to retreat into yourself, which once in a while still happens to me, then it just starts to, you want to talk about a, making a nine. You make nine really quickly. <laughs> it gets really ugly really fast. But if you react like, hey, like sometimes I'll do something, I'll go, wow. That seemed way funnier this afternoon. And they like it. They go, oh, cool. He acknowledges that just took a big shit there. So we're cool. Because <laughs> if you don't acknowledge that it happened, they start to suspect that maybe you don't know that it happened. And now they can't trust you. Right. Well, just speak to that, man. What, what, why is it that audiences, the more human you are, the more they uh, That's where I'm going with that. Is that... That oh he just made a mistake, and he reacted to it like someone who's he's right there. He's actually kind of vulnerable right now. I don't know. Yes, that's it exactly. The audience wants to know that you're in the same room as they are, because sometimes you go out and you sort of recite your stuff, and you know you're trying to work on something new, and you don't really pay attention to what's happening, and they can feel it. Uh, I'm not sure if I we I I know I've talked to you since this happened to me, or I'm not sure if I did, but about. Three weeks ago, it's Saturday night at Yuck Yucks. There's 250 people in the room, and two minutes into my act, the mic broke. And the way I reacted, the audience loved it so much. Like, I was literally in the middle of the punchline of a joke I'd set up, and the mic, mic just kind of went, and it crapped out. And so without missing a beat, I said, well... It's a good thing I'm the loudest effer in this room. And the audience went crazy. And I did a minute and a half without a microphone. And they, you, you, would, have, you would have thought I was taping my Netflix special. <laughs> now, was that because you are, you, know, you are an extremely quick, funny, and intelligent man? Are you saying that it was funny because of you were able to come up with something quick? Or you were just the first thing that kind of jumped in your head you just basically said, "Well, I, I, I was, I was in the, I was in the moment. You know, like we all have rounds where things are going well. So I felt good, and so when it happened, I just reacted to it because I was in the present tense. Believe me, it could have gone horribly wrong. I mean, I could have gone, well, uh, what, what should I? I mean, is there a mic? Is there? I mean, I could have done all that, and then it would have just laid there." And I'll tell you, when I finally got the mic to work again, the first words I spoke into it weren't funny, but they just went crazy when the mic started working again. And when I listened back to it, all I could think of is, it re, you know, just to remind everyone, when you're being authentic, you know, you can make mistakes and, and, and you can um, with, withstand whatever you feel. They don't, they don't hurt you as much. Because you're like, hey, it's like, you know, I, I've told you this story. I was in the first round of uh, this Oak Hill tournament two years ago. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm super nervous on the first tee. I'm playing a partner game. And I, I hit my drive down the middle. I, I have a seven iron to the green. It couldn't have been an easier club in my hand. And I fatted it so badly 
that the, the, it was one of those ones where the turf almost flew as far as the ball, but I turned to my partner and the other two guys in the group and I went, well, you don't see that every day or something. And I, I diffused it for them, but I also diffused it for myself. Right. So, so cool. So you, fair to say that in both those situations, you didn't react with shame. Exactly. You didn't, have, you didn't have this big emotional wave that hit you like, like a tsunami, and that you just you just went with it. And like I said, you said the first thing. I gotta think that that whatever came out of your your mouth regarding I'm the loudest effort in here, that just that just blew out almost. You were probably weren't even aware you were saying it. I wasn't. Is that fair? Yeah. And so that's that's all this is about. Is is whether it's Jordan Spieth or you at Yuck Yucks, it's, it's allowing just this river to flow, just to go f- to fly out, because you got it within you, so just let it go. And when we're able to, but that takes reps. You know, I, I would say earlier in your career, if you were just, you know, a year into doing this stand-up thing in the mic crafts, I got to think you don't react in the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, people always ask this about comics. Like, what, you know, what do you do when you get heckled? Or, you know, like they, people seem to be fascinated. And I understand why, because it's not comfortable standing up in front of a room full of people and having one of them yell at you. But here's what I learned a long time ago. When I was on the road for years, like four years of my life, I spent doing 30 weeks a year of stand-up. So after a while, you kind of get used to people in every situation. But I learned early on, and it's a trick, but it's a good one, that if somebody heckled me, I would wait to say something. Because, you know, you're, you know, what most guys do is they sort of snap back right away. Because I think, okay, I'll just wait, first of all, to, to make sure the whole room heard it. Is it a drunk? Is it a guy? But mostly I wanted to wait to see if it made any sense because I, I have, I've got all the time in the world. But the other thing that, that I learned too was once in a while I would, I would say a punchline and then somebody would say something else that was funnier than what I said. And then, and it happened to me a couple of times where they, and it got a big laugh, but rather than be ashamed or weirded out, I would reach into my pocket and I'd get my notebook and go, hang on a second. What'd you say there? And they, they, I would write it down and go, go, that's mine now, buddy. And again, all the audience feels is, ah, this guy's okay. He's going to, everything is going to be okay. (laughs) And that's really all we want as golfers. We just want to feel like no matter what we shoot on the hole before, we're still there and we're still kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, well, I was going to ask you what, when you responded to a heckler or someone who gave a funnier punchline, it's like, you know, what's really going on? And I think what you're you're letting people know is that, you know, we're all okay here. <laughs> it's going to be fine, and no one's in any great danger of of being killed or self-immolating. And I think that there's actually a, a real genuine, almost energy exchange between people. I think that that. What it comes down to like when you were, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, you referred to it earlier and you were struggling in your game at the time and you made a choice that you're going to be the best partner you were going to be. It was, it was kind of like you were outside of yourself, but you were, you were including your partners in everything. It, you were expansive. And I think it's the same when you're doing stand up or you're in all these, you know, whether you're a, a leader of a team in a, 
work situation or a leader of a family if 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 we're including everybody in this if we kind of have what i call an outsider expansive awareness just everybody's kind of okay mm-hmm. and that's really you know the dynamic of I and mean, you've done some uh some good work in the last couple of years in uh, toastmasters and we've talked about public speaking and one of the reasons that people fear it so much it goes back to our original topic today is they they feel that it's not that they're afraid to stand up in front of people. They're afraid, what if something goes wrong and I'm shamed by it? I couldn't get through that. Right. And one of the things you've learned and what I, you know, I've been doing for a long time is you kind of go, oh, I know what that feels like. It's pretty crappy. But, you know, as you said, no one dies. You know, you're, you, you're, you, you make us, you, your clothes stink. <laughs> um <laughs> Because I've bombed a couple times in my life where I had to throw out the shirt I was wearing, you know, because because flop sweat, as they call it, smells like death. That's why they call it dying, because you you excrete an odor that's not like working out. It's a whole different part of your body that, you know, releases this weirdness, but you don't die from it for real. I don't know where to go with that. It's like I, I, I don't have to I go anywhere have, with it. I know I did have a, a season where most of my golf shirts stank, but I just thought it was because it was that <laughs> that's right. material. Shame has a smell, my friend. <laughs> but that's why most people don't want to get up at a Toastmasters or a wedding or at a function because they're not afraid they can't, you know, won't entertain people. They're afraid. What if they don't? How will they feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that I wa- I watch in Toastmasters or people who have to get up in the front of a room or in a group and have to speak and they're they're so self conscious and and what I don't think they don't understand is that everybody is hoping they'll do great. We're there for you. We don't. We're not there to tear you down or to watch you mm-hmm. die or hit the ball out of bounds. Metaphorically speaking. We want you to have a good time. So just be yourself and we'll all have a great time. Well, that's the thing. What I always tell people when they ask me if they've got a speech to to deliver or something, and I always say, you know, I just want you to know something. Every person in that audience, they want two things. They want the best for you, and they're just so amazed. They're so impressed that that you could get up there and do it. So don't worry about it. You've You've already done... No matter what you say, 99% of them are going to come up after and go, oh, that was great, because they're just so fascinated that you did it. Can we draw a parallel to stand-up comedy with that? Stand-up is like that, except the one difference is they are there to receive a specific reaction. That's why most people, even in arts, actors, singers, I've talked to a lot of different people in my life, and none of them, even people that go on stage for a living, none of them, um, improvisers, they want no part of stand-up. Because unlike a singer who finishes, even if you're a bad singer, you finish the last chord of a song, people applaud. Right. I did so badly. (laughs) This is funny. (laughs) I did so badly two weeks ago in Cambridge, Ontario. Here's how bad I did. I go up there. I'm, I'm the MC for the show. There's only three of us on the show. I'm supposed to do 15 off the top and five in between the two acts, or between the sec- first act and the second act. 
I did so badly. First five minutes were okay. Second five minutes were not good. The last five minutes were horrible. And so I introduced the first comedian, and he comes up and says, keep it going for your MC Howard Glassman, and nobody clapped. <laughs> it was... It was... It would make, in fact, it made me laugh. They hated me so much, they couldn't even give me the, all right, okay, nothing, Tim. And, and, they, and the weird thing, they knew I was, I was literally walking off the stage, and the guy says, keep it going for your MC, Howard Glassman. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. And you know what? Oh, I was okay. I ordered some wings, and uh, I was fine. So is that like a day when a professor shoots... Uh I don't seventy six in a tournament yep. or yeah maybe or more more like, I mean, like more like eighty one like it was hilarious but but the thing is I laughed about it because I thought you know what I did I I lost them somewhere and I don't know I came back up and I got them back though I got I came back up and did a few more minutes and I was like okay. Let's start again. I think I actually said this. I said, I think you, I th- you know what, guys? I think we could be friends if we just gave this relationship a chance. And I got them back. But I had to acknowledge that they didn't like me. So you regrouped for the back nine? Yeah, I came back and I, uh, I came back and shot a couple over on the back. But, dude, when you hear a room full of people, if you know, like, like um, how bad do you have to do where nobody claps after you've just sweated your ass off for 15 stupid minutes? Oh, it was great. Anyway. Well, you know, so so this is a golf podcast, so let's just knit this together, shall we say. But um, isn't there, to me, this great parallel with, with golf is that, you know, one day you don't say you're a scratch player. You, get, you shoot, you know, 73, 74, and the next day you shoot 81. Mm-hmm. Does it mean you suddenly, you, you forgot how to golf, it's over. I'm an absolute, everyone, I've been exposed to the fraud that I've always thought I was. No, it's just, just golf, man. And it's just stand-up and it's just life. It's just, the stuff happens. And there's going to just be days where it just uh, it didn't work out. Well, I've learned a lot from this show over the last couple of years. You know, one of the reasons that Tim and I came together was because we had this mutual interest in this side of the game versus... You know all the other sides, and and uh, I can tell you that when I sat down after that moment and ordered wings, I wasn't wearing any of it because I I was like, okay, that happened, and you know I'll I'll be fine. Uh, when I was 27 or 28, and I had a thing like that happen, I would be affected by it until the next time I got to go on stage. Oh, I get it. Yeah. But now I kind of go, okay, that's too bad. Uh, I'll try and do better. But it doesn't mean because some of the jokes that didn't go over at all have have done well a hundred other times. So I had to acknowledge that, you know, I was a little bit off. I was kind of tired. I wasn't delivering the goods. And that happens. Well, a mature person would be able to understand that that happens. And you could be immature when you're 76 years old, too. You know, that's the, that's the difference. Well, for sure. I mean. Uh, can I, I, I don't think you're, you're not 76 yet. I could be. I will say this. The uh, I'll tell you one, okay, one last thing from 2017 that uh, you, you want to talk about. The, the, the classic golf guy that I used to be, I played with at the Senior Am. And I've told the story, but I'll just remind everyone. Oh, yeah. The guy that I was playing with in the second <laughs> round, guy was moping the entire way, and he was like one over par. And I was nine over par. 
through 12 holes, including four putting the 12th green of the second round. And all the way from the 12th hole to the 13th tee, he was complaining about how he wasn't making enough birdies. <laughs> and, and he was telling me how bad luck he'd had on the greens. And I was just listening to him, kind of looking at him, fascinated. And I finally said, you know, I just four-putted the last hole, right? And he looked, he looked at me like he had no idea what I was talking about. But I sympathize with that guy because I used to be yeah. that guy. Yes, yes. Well, that's it. I mean, we all can hold up the mirror and go, oh, yeah, I've been that dude. have definitely been that dude where, you know. And I would say that my biggest takeaway from being your friend is to, you know, I mean, yeah, lots of golfy golf stuff. But, you know, one of the things uh, to be to be to look at people with a kinder filter is what I take away from you. And that's really, I think, you know, when you told me that two summers ago and you said, you know, try and just be a better, I'd, I'd never read that anywhere, be a better partner uh, to your golf friends <laughs> seems so dumb and not dumb, simply so simple, you know, like, uh, like that's it. But that, that is sort of you. And, uh, and I, I thank you for that. That's sort of the, the way I look at that guy now is, okay, you know, he was in his own thing, and I think it's funny. But, you know, I, as opposed to thinking he's a dick, which he was, um, uh, I can see that. I can see myself in that. And for you, for that, I say thank you, and, uh, and that's all I have to say. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and uh, just while well, the spirit of giving and all this is that I, I want to thank you so much for... Um, Basically, your mentorship in this is, is really helping me along in, in this uh, world of broadcasting. You've been uh, showing great patience and, and really helped me along and, and uh, just a, to allow me to be on this uh, journey with you. It's been absolutely great, man. It's really been fun. You pull out um, some of the best parts of me, so thank you very much, and I just love hanging with you, brother. All right, my friend. Love to you and your family. And uh, to everyone, Merry Christmas, uh, whatever other funny holiday you celebrate. Uh, yeah. We'll be back. Seasonal wishes. Isn't yes. That yes. Solstice. Uh, love to everyone and a happy uh, 2018. And we'll be back early in the new year with another episode of Swing Thoughts brought to you by Club Link and uh, TaylorMade. And to all... A good night. Goodbye. I step inside.